0: It's been said that uh, a man can never truly live until he is first ready to die. That a man cannot truly live until he is first ready to die. Death is something like religion and politics, is it not? We don't talk about death at the Thanksgiving table. Uh, We don't talk about death at the kitchen table. We don't talk about death when we are with our family and friends or just hanging out, shooting the breeze. Death is one of those topics that we tend to shy away from. But death is, like taxes, unavoidable. Death is unavoidable to all of us. The second we begin to breathe is the very second we begin to die. Right now, our life is... Uh, ticking, as you were, to that final day when we will be no more, that we will cross over to the Jordan and we will see and be with our maker. Now, I understand that death is a topic that many don't want to talk about, especially uh, death is not the, I guess, most popular topic to speak of on a Sunday morning, People who wake up, get dressed, uh, have had a horrible week in their life. Uh, many of you have uh, gone through many struggles, and right now are going through a curtain valley. And I'm sure the last thing you want to hear this morning is about death. Can't you speak to me about, you know, something about you know, living for Christ, or uh, maybe something about how to gain victory over my sin? But why should we Christians be so consumed with death? Why should we speak about death and why should death be something that we Christians talk about frequently? Now understand that the process of dying is not fun. None of us want to go through a horrendous, agonizing, painful process of dying. I'm sure many of you, like me, want to just go to sleep and then never wake up ever again. Many of us dread going to the doctor. Why? Because they're going to tell us something about dying. They might give us six months, a year, three years, or they might tell us, hey, there's something in you that could potentially lead to you dying. We all dread that. We all fear that. But friends, what I want to argue this morning is that just as we have speaking of, or Pastor Antonio has been speaking about the law the past few weeks, and how we need to recover a biblical understanding of the Christian's relationship to the law? We need to recover a Christian's relationship to death. How are we as Christians to view death? We have done a wonderful church, or a wonderful time in the church explaining how we are to live as Christians, right? How we are to obey Christ, and what are the things we are to do to conform more to the image of Christ? How do we live as good Christian citizens? But saints, have you ever considered how to die as a good Christian citizen? It's said that the minister's main objective in his ministry is to teach his congregation how to die well. Death is inevitable. We are all going to die, but it is only the Christian who will die well. And this morning I want us to consider death and reclaim a biblical understanding, a Christian understanding of death. How should we as Christians view death? So I just have two points to consider. The first point is the saint's dilemma and desire. And the second point, the saint's sweet hope and comfort. The saint's dilemma and desire and the saint's sweet hope and comfort. And what we will be doing is we will be expounding verse 23 of Philippians chapter 1. Verse 23 of Philippians chapter 1. Let's consider the first point, and that is the saint's dilemma and desire. The saint's dilemma and desire. If you have your Bibles, you will see that as we come to verse 23 of Philippians chapter 1, we see the climax of St. Paul's feelings of his current situation that began in verse 12. You see, Paul is currently in a Roman prison, awaiting trial against Caesar. So he's in prison, he's awaiting trial, and the charge is insurrection against the empire, which in this day was a capital offense. At this moment, St. Paul is forced with the real possibility, is faced with the real possibility that his life might come To an end. In other words, Paul is literally looking at death in the face. He is on death row, if you would. His life hangs in the balance, and as he sits in this jail cell, he's faced with a serious desire, but also a dilemma. Now, put yourself in St. Paul's shoes. You're in a jail cell, and you don't know if you're going to die. Or if you're going to be released. Now the dilemma is whether or not he wants to live or be with Christ. That's Paul's dilemma. Whether I should live or be with Christ. But Paul also had a desire. And his desire is he longs to be with Christ. He longs to be with Christ. Let's consider the dilemma that that St. Paul is facing. When death is knocking on a man's door, eternity begins to become more and more of a reality, does it not? When you go through something, you quickly understand how short life truly is. If you've ever gotten news that you have uh, a year or two years to live, eternity suddenly becomes and enters into your mind of what's going to happen. You suddenly begin to ask questions about the life that you have lived up to this point. Have you accomplished all the goals that you've set for yourself? Maybe you considered all the things that you desire to do in your life. Some of us might think of our children, our grandchildren, our nieces, our nephews, our parents. While others might ask, This one simple question, am I spiritually right? Am I ready to die? Am I ready to spend an eternity with God or an eternity apart from him? To the Apostle Paul, however, none of these questions entered his mind. Rather, when death was staring Paul at the face, he was faced with a dilemma. He says in verse 23 and 24, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. This was the dilemma for Paul. He wasn't thinking about where he would spend all eternity. He wasn't thinking about his friends. He wasn't thinking about all the things that he desires to do, but rather... It was to be with Christ or remain in the flesh. Verse 23, Paul says he's hard pressed. He's torn between the two. He doesn't know which choice that he wants. And essentially, St. Paul is torn between two loves. Two who have his heart. On one side, Paul sees his beloved Christ who was the brightest gem in his eyes. To the Apostle Paul, Jesus Christ was everything. He loved Christ with all of his mind, with all of his soul, with all of his strength, with all of his heart. If there was anyone in history that was more sold out for Christ, it was the Apostle Paul. Christ was Paul's Savior. He was his Lord. He was his master. He was the pearl in the field in which he sold everything for. When Paul considered what he had gained in Christ, he counted all things as rubbish. When Paul summed up his ministry, it was simply this, to preach Christ and him crucified. Paul truly lived his life from the vantage point of the cross and of the resurrection. But Paul was not simply sold out to the gospel of Christ, and we aren't to think that. But Paul was completely sold out and in love with the person of Christ, he loved everything about Jesus Christ. He was a Christian in every sense of the word. A Christian with a capital C. But then there was the Philippian Christians. These, for the Apostle Paul, were his spiritual children. He was the one who founded their church. He was their co laborer in the faith. He was the one whom they prayed for on a daily basis. Paul thought of these people. He wrote letters to these people of how they were doing. He thanked them. The Apostle Paul couldn't picture leaving his children. In fact, he says, for their sake, it's better that he stays. For the advancement of the gospel. And what we see here in the life of Paul is a serious dilemma of heaven on one side and earth on the other. What do I want? What am I desperately desiring a dilemma between Christ or Christ's people. He was torn between service or reward. He desired to be with Christ in glory, yet he was willing to stay out of heaven a while so that he might be the means to bring others there. But friends, as sweet as Paul giving himself to the advancement of the gospel is, This man truly longed to be with Jesus Christ. If there was anyone that desired so desperately to leave this earth and to be with his Savior, it was Jesus, it was the Apostle Paul. That is why he says in verse 23, My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. Being with Christ is far better. Now notice he doesn't say he desires to die. Paul doesn't say, I desire to die, but rather he desires to depart. The Puritan Thomas Watson says, to depart may be a metaphor taken from mariners who loosen anchor so that they may sail from one port to another. So Paul desired to loosen anchor. Death to the believer is but a loosening the anchor and sailing from one port to the other. From earth to heaven, to St. Paul, death was not the end. Death could never be the end, but rather death was the means to take us from our earthly tabernacle to our heavenly home. Paul saw death as a great, dark, deep sea in which we go with our boats from one port to the next. Death was merely the advancement of one's estate. Paul saw this world as an end where travelers take up their logging for the night, lodging for the night, and in the morning we journey to that celestial city. Paul longed to be out of his end. He longed to be no longer invited to stay in his end. But saints notice, heaven wasn't Paul's desire. Paul doesn't say, I desire and depart to be in heaven. But rather he says, I desire to depart and to be with Christ. Not heaven, but Christ. To the Apostle Paul, heaven is not heaven without Christ. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when asked about heaven, he would say, Jesus Christ. For Jesus Christ is more valuable than heaven itself. No one has said it best than the Puritan Richard Sibbs. He says, It is better to be in any place with Christ, to be in heaven itself without him. It is better to be in a place with Christ, to be in heaven, and all the sweet things we enjoy in heaven, to be without him. All the delicacies without Christ are but as a funeral banquet. The joys of heaven are not the joys of heaven without Christ. And I love this line here. He says, Jesus Christ is the very heaven of heaven. Christ is the very heaven of heaven. Jesus Christ is what makes heaven heavenly. Heaven is not about a place. It's not about a mansion with many rooms. It's not about streets of gold. But ultimately, heaven is about a person. It's about seeing the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And when St. Paul contemplated on heaven, he saw his Savior in all of his glory. When you speak about heaven, you speak about Christ. And when you speak about Christ, you speak about heaven. There are many Christians in this world that desire health for themselves and for their family. Some desire financial freedom, others might desire a life of peace and happiness for their children. But St. Paul desired to be with Jesus Christ and nothing else. There was nothing that Paul desired more but to be with Christ and him alone. Because to be with Christ is far better than all of the riches that this world has to offer. But the question remains is, how is being with Christ far better than being on this earth? Think about all the things on this earth. How can you say that being with Jesus Christ is far better than being on this earth? And what Apostle Paul is arguing here is for the Christian, dying is better than living. For those who believe in Jesus Christ, dying is better than living. Consider with me the second and last point, and that is the Christian's sweet hope and reward. Again, the question is for the Christian, not for the unbeliever. But for the Christian, how is death better than living? And how is being with Christ far better than being in this world? How is death better? And how is being with Christ better? This is what the Apostle Paul says in verse 23, is it not? My desire is to depart and to be with Christ. For that is much better. For that is far better. So let's consider how death is better than living for the Christian. That's a weird thing to say, is it not? Death is better for us than living itself? The Puritan Thomas Watson says, death puts an end to all of our evils. Death puts an end to all of our evils. And to the Christian, is that not the utmost of truth? Is that not the sweetest thing you can hear? That death puts an end to all of our evils. In death, every evil that plagues the Christian life is permanently put to death. Every single evil. But what are these evils that death puts an end to? Let me just give you five. Number one, death will put an end to a believer's sins. How is death better than living? Because number one, death will put an end to a believer's sins. Again, Thomas Watson says, Sin is the womb of our sorrows and the grave of our comforts. When Adam sinned in the garden, he plunged us down those same miseries with him. Sin is woven into the very fabric of who we are. It's almost as if to be human is to be a sinner because none of us are born upright and none of us are born righteous. And even though God has saved us, even though that we have been given a righteousness that's not our own, even though the blood of Jesus Christ washes away our sins perfectly and completely, we still live in this sin-sick world, do we not? We still wear the outer garments of sin. Sin no longer defines who we are. You are no longer a sinner in Adam, but you are a saint in Christ. But yet we still do Sin for some of us it's almost as if sin is our closest companion that sin is our best friend he just lives with us every single step that i take every single thing that i do sin is there i can't shake him i can't break it it's that one enemy that can never stop attacking us sin is the sinner's bondage as acts 8:23 describes it's the saint's burden Sing mingles itself with our holy things and as we grow more into the conformity of Jesus Christ, there are those st- stubborn thorns that don't want to be cut off. Sin can make a saint of God feel like an enemy of God, can it not? Think about the times after you have sinned. What's the first thing you might think of? Am I even saved? Why am I even doing this? Why do I continue to do this day after day, year after year? Why has nothing changed? We all cry out like Paul for, I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. How many of you have sat cold in the dark, hands on your knees, pulling your hair out, screaming, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Why do I continue to go through this? When will it stop? But saints, at death, the old man with its sin is finally put to death. The old man is finally put to death when we die. Death will free us from anything in us that is associated with sin. Every single thing that you struggle with will be put to death. Every single sin, every single single uh, evil thought. The day when we are done breathing will be the day that we will be done sinning. What glorious news that is. The day that we stop breathing will be the day that we will stop once and for all sinning. Death is sweet to the believer, is it not? Because it will put an end to the very thing that continues to be a thorn in our side. It continues to plague us every single year. Saints, there will come a day when you will not sin no more. There will come a day when sin will not be a problem, when sin will never, ever enter your mind, when sin will never, ever be acted out. Death will put an end to all of that. Secondly, death will put an end to a believer's temptations. Death will put an end to a believer's temptations. If sin is the great enemy in the believer's life, then temptation is sin's closest ally. Satan is always casting his hook of a temptation to see whether we will bite or not. He tempted Christ with a vision of all the kingdoms of the world. He tempted Adam and Eve with a simple fruit. He tempted David with beauty. He tempted Joseph with lust. And friends, doesn't it seem that every time we lock the door of our heart, a temptation ever so cuttingly finds its way in? Every time we say no to that that temptation, that same temptation masks itself in such a way that it meets us once again. It can come in a myriad of ways. It can come violently and ferociously like Satan did in the wilderness with Christ. It can meet you head on. Or it can come more slyly as the serpent did in the garden. Temptation can come in a myriad of different ways. And the more we say no to temptation, the more bait Satan throws on the hook. Doesn't it seem that every time you say no to the temptation, it's as if the wave becomes more higher and more stronger and that temptation builds more and more and more and more until you either finally give up and give in to the temptation or you are released from the temptation. Thomas Watson says, is it not sad to have the devil's bullets continually flying about our ears? But death will put, it, will put him out of gunshot range. Every single day, Satan throws his fiery bullets at us. But when death comes, we will not be in his range. He will not be able to reach us with his bullets any longer. Saints, at death, we shall never be troubled with Satan's fiery darts anymore. At death, we will no longer wonder if today will be the day that you finally give in to temptation. Many of you might thought that. I think that at times... Will this be the day when I finally give in? Will this be the day when I finally say, I can't take it no more? At death, we don't have to worry about whether or not we will ever get over our temptation. Many of you have might have thought, when am I ever going to get over this? When is it ever going to stop? But death puts an end to temptation and a death to temptation once and for all. Saints, what a sweet day it will be when God through death will free us from all of our temptations. Every single thing that calls you. Every single thing that tempts you. And when temptation comes, doesn't it say to you, are you going to never indulge me again? Are you never going to invite me again, ever again? There will come a day, saints, when the door of your heart will be locked and the key will be thrown as far as the east is from the west thirdly death will put an end to a believer's tears death will put an end to a believer's tears revelation 7:17 7, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes psalm 30 verse 5 weeping may tarry for the night but joy comes In the morning, weeping is our lifelong friend, is it not? As soon as a child is born, what does it do? It weeps. The first thing we do when we come out the womb is weep. It's been studied that women will cry 4,680 times in a lifetime. Men will cry about 2,000 times. Through struggles, we weep. Through times of peace and victory, we weep. Weeping at times can be good for the soul. But weeping can also keep us in deep and dark depression. And though weeping can be linked to joy and happiness, weeping is usually accompanied with sadness and despair. Some of you have had long nights of endless tears and sorrow. Some of you have come to church this morning After a night of weeping till you felt that your eyes weighed a thousand pounds. Saints, there will be a day, and hear me now, when we shall leave the valley of tears and enter into the land of peace. There will be a day when we will leave that that pool of tears that we have accumulated over our lifetime, and we will finally enter into that land of peace and rest. There will be a day, saints, when the bottle of your tears shall be emptied. There will be not one tear remaining in your bottle. When your weeping water shall turn into sweet wine. When mourning shall be turned into music. When your cries shall be turned into praise. Thomas Watson says, death is the handkerchief to wipe away all tears. That's what death does to the saints. Death wipes away every single tear that you have ever cried, that you ever will cry. You will never, ever in your life cry, shed one tear when you die and be with the Lord. Praise God for that. Fourthly, death will put an end to a believer's fears, cares, and troubles. Fears, cares, and troubles on a daily basis. The troubles in this world bring unwanted cares and fears into our life, do they not? The troubles of sin, sickness, injuries, depression, loss of job, loss of financial uh, uh, gain, cast fear and cares upon our soul. Cares cause us to lose energy. Troubles cause us our minds to ache, gives us migraines and headaches. And fears, they cause us loss of sleep. But saints, there shall be a day when the cares of this world will vanish like a footprint on the seashore. There will be a day when the troubles in our life will no longer plague us. And when the fears we harbor will finally be let go. When every single thing you have fear of, when every single thing that troubles you, every single thing that worries you will be no longer. God through death will put an end to all of our worries, to all of our doubts. Into every single one of our cares. And fifth and lastly, death will put an end to the believer's weary pilgrimage. Death will put an end to the believer's weary pilgrimage. St. Paul calls the Christian sojourners and exiles. And that is a fitting description of who we are in this world, saints. We are nothing but aliens of this world, we are strangers in this foreign land, we are citizens. Not of this world, but of heaven. But also, why would any Christian vouch for this world? Why would any Christian say that they are a citizen of this world? What is this world? This world is wicked, is it not? This world is full of sin. We have to pray that God will bring godly children around our children. How sick is this world? Kids can't even go outside to play any longer. They make fun of our beliefs, do they not? They mock the word of God. They say believing a God is like a liken to believing in the tooth fairy, believing in Bigfoot. Sure, there's much good in this world, but saints, there is also equally much bad in this world. And the good news that the Bible teaches us, as this world is passing, this world is going to fade away. That this world is not the Christian's home, but we are simply passing through. And the sweetness of death is that we who long to be home will finally enter into their resting spot. You know what it feels like to be homesick. You know what it feels like to be in a place that you don't want to be. Saints, that is the type of mindset that we are to have as Christians. That we are to long to be in the city of gold. Isaiah says in chapter 57 to those who walk uprightly enter into peace. They find rest as they lie in death. Saints, these are the five evils that God puts to death at death. These are the benefits that death brings to the Christian. This is why, for the Christian, dying is better than living. No more troubles, no more cares, no more fears, no more sin, no more temptation. No more wanting things that we don't need. Now, let's quickly consider the second sub point. How is being with Christ far better than being in this world? We've seen how death is better than living. Now, how is being with Christ far better than being in this world? It's a simple answer, is it not? How is being with Christ better than being in this world? Because you're with Jesus Christ. That is why being with Christ is far better than being in this world, because you're with Christ and nothing else. Again, Thomas Watson says, Though death is a bitter cup, there is sweet sugar at the bottom. Though death is a bitter cup, there is sweet sugar at the bottom. It translates the soul of a believer to Christ. Though the flesh calls death the last enemy, yet faith calls it its best friend. It brings a man to Christ, which is far better. Death to the Christian is our best friend because it brings us to Christ. And there's three things that being with Christ implies. First, it implies sight. 1 John 3 2 says, We shall see him as he is. The hope for the Christian is that one day you will see Jesus Christ. That is the great promise of every Christian, is that one day you will see with the eyes that you are looking at me now, you will behold Jesus Christ. By faith, through a darkened mirror, we currently see him. We see him now with weary eyes. Through broken glass, we view our Lord through faith. Through clouds and fog, we behold God. But friends, at death, the one whom we behold now by faith, we will behold by sight. Friends, if I could be honest with you for a moment the one thing that I long most is not to see my nieces and nephews married, not to see whom my son will marry, not to see how my son is going to turn up or how my nieces and nephews are going to turn up and how they are going to be, but friends, I long so desperately to see Jesus. The theologian's life is the best life, is it not? The Christian life is the best life, We study Jesus for a lifetime, and then what? We go see Him. The Christian life is the best life. We study the infinite. We study the eternal. We study the Lamb slain. We study our bleeding Savior, and then what? We go and see the one whom we studied. Friends, I cannot wait for the day when I will be given sight to see the one who has saved me from my sins. When I will be able to give, give the opportunity to tell him thank you. To worship him. To sing to him. But friends, when we see Christ, who will we see? We won't see a crucified Christ. We won't see a man whom men hid their faces from. We will not see a man who people despised and looked at with shame. But friends, we will see a glorified Christ. We will see the same Christ that Peter, James, and John saw at the Mount of Transfiguration. We will see beauty with a capital B. We will see beauty unveiled. We will see something that that is far more glorious than the tallest of buildings, than the most beautiful of animals, then the most delicious of meals, we will see Jesus Christ in all of his glory. Secondly, to be with Christ implies enjoyment. In heaven, not only we will see him, but we will enjoy him. Not only will we see our Christ, but we will enjoy our Christ. Matthew 25, 11 says, enter into the joy of your master to be with Christ is to be at the spring head of all happiness. It is to enjoy the mutual love relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you think that being at Disneyland is fun, if you think being at Magic Mountain is enjoyable, if you think eating your favorite meal or wearing your best clothes is enjoyable, friends, think of when you see Christ and when you will be in heaven. There is nothing in this world that rivals the enjoyment that you will have in heaven. There was one time asked to R.C. Sproul Jr.'s son, or R.C. Sproul, his son, "Will you be bored in heaven?" And he says, "When I get to heaven, I can imagine seeing my daughter. I can imagine seeing my wife, and I can imagine seeing them leading me to my Savior." And then I say to myself, I will never, ever be bored for one second. And think about your own life. Think about the various saints that you know that have died. I think of my father welcoming me. I think of my Auntie Virgie welcoming me, leading me to Christ. And I'll say to myself, I get to enjoy this forever. This is what I get to see forever. There will never be a time when... Clouds of haze and fog cover my eyesight that I may not see Jesus Christ and him crucified and glorified. I will see the lamb for all eternity for who he is. Friends, there are many of you currently who enjoy sweet fellowship with Christ. There are many of you when you speak about Christ, you shed tears when you consider what he has done for you, who he is in his person and work. Friends, imagine the joy that you will have when you will see him face to face. If you find enjoyment now for your Christ, imagine the enjoyment that you will find when you finally meet him face to face in heaven. Which leads to our (laughs) last implication. To be with Christ implies duration. To be with Christ implies duration. Saints, one of the sweetest verses in all scripture is found in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. There will never come a time when we will never be with Jesus Christ. This world and all that it contains will pass away. Every single thing, every single earthly comfort, though they may be sweet are swift, buildings will fall, mountains will give way, volcanoes will erupt, clothes will get old, friends will leave, your family one day will be no more. But Christ will be with his people for all eternity. Christ can say to us what no one can say to us. I shall never leave you, and I shall never forsake you. For all eternity, the lamb will be with his sheep. For all eternity, the groom will be with his bride. For all eternity, God will be with his people. I, from personal experience and being with her for so long now, I wish that my marriage with my wife would last for all eternity. But there are some things in this life that I'm just going to have to let go. But friends, if I enjoy my marriage with my wife now, imagine for all eternity enjoying the marriage with your sweet Savior. In closing, friends, what have we learned today? And how can we apply this sermon to our lives? Well, we've seen that Death carries sweet benefits, does it not? No more sin, no more tears, no more troubles, no more cares, no more fears, no more wilderness wandering. But the sweetest benefit that death carries is that we get to be with Jesus Christ. Tears no longer, fears no more, worries being cast aside are great. But friends, we get to be with Jesus and him alone. This is why the Puritan Richard Sibs has said, death is ours and for our good. It does us more good, and hear this, it does us more good than all the friends we have in this world. This is why death to the Christian is our best friend. Because death does for us what your auntie, who knows you like a book and can say nice things and help you through any time, you know, that you go through. They're your best friend who knows how to talk to you, give you that sweet advice. They're your mother who can comfort you and say those sweet things to bring you back down to earth. Death can do what none can do. Now, how do we apply this sermon to our lives? Well, if there's anything that you have learned this morning that I hope you've learned this morning, is that death shouldn't be anything that we should fear. To the Christian, death is nothing that we should fear, saints, but rather it's something that we should embrace with open arms. We should hug death. We should see death in all of its beauty, and all of its glory. Yes, the pains and sufferings of death, of getting to death, are not fun. None of us want to go through pain to get to death. None of us want to go through suffering, through agony. I get that. But death itself, dare I say, is something that we should long for. You Christians should long for death. This is what the Ecclesiastes 7.1 says, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. The day of death is better than your day of birth. Because it frees you from all of these various sins and all of these vices that plague you on this earth. Why is death sweet to us? Because the closer you are to death, the nearer you are to heaven. And the nearer you are to heaven, the closer you are to Christ. That is why it's a glorious thing when a saint dies. It's the most beautiful thing When a saint dies, yes, we are to mourn that they are no longer with us, but we should wholly envy where they are at and who they are with. That is why if I was ever given the opportunity to bring any saint in heaven down for just an hour with me, if I was given the opportunity to bring my father down to converse with him for an hour, I would say no in a heartbeat. Why? Why would I want my father to leave the precious joy of heaven to come down to this sin-sick world to see little old me? He gets to see Christ, which is far better than the grandchildren he hasn't seen, which is far better than the marriage he wasn't there to see. He sees Jesus Christ in him glorified. Friends, the question I have for you this morning is can you truly echo the words of the Apostle Paul? Can you honestly echo the words of Paul? Can you say that you desire nothing more to, but to be with Jesus Christ? Do you desire to be with Christ, the person over heaven, the place? What is your desire? Is it heaven or is it Christ? If we're honest with ourselves, many of us can't say that because there's many things in our life that we so We love and we long to see. I love my son and I don't want to leave him. I love my wife. I don't. I love all of you. I don't want to see you. I don't see you go. I don't want to leave you. Now, if you say, "I don't desire Christ in that way," or maybe you say, "I desire to be with Christ, but there's things on this earth that also have my heart," then, friends, I'm not saying that you're not saved. But what I am saying and what I do question is whether or not you love Jesus Christ with all of your soul, with all of your might, with all of your strength, with all of your heart. If you can say to yourself, I want Christ, but I love these other things, then how much do you truly, maximally love Christ? I'm not saying you don't love Christ, but there are levels to loving Christ. What we need to do, friends, so desperately in this life as Christians. So we need to stop viewing Christ as merely our Savior, but we need to start viewing Christ as our treasure. We've got to stop viewing Christ as our Savior, as the one who simply lived and died for me. But we need to find him as the sweetest jewel in the cabinet, the pearl in the field that we will give everything for. That's how we are to view Jesus Christ. And Saints, when you view Christ as your supreme happiness, then death is nothing to fear. We say to death, Oh, where is your sting? We say to death, Bring it on, for death is the means by which we go to be with our Lord. Saints, the Christian's last day, the Christian's final day, is indeed his best day. Saints, your dying day is far better than your birthday. Your dying day is far better than your marriage day. For it is the completion of your marriage day. Oh, what sweet day will be when death will finally give that fatal stroke. When there will be a sweet exchange for earth and heaven. A day when we will no longer breathe and there will be an exchange for sorrows and for enjoyment, for wilderness wandering, for heavenly rest. Oh, what a day, saints, when we will be no longer, when we stop breathing and there will be an exchange between this world and for Christ. Let's pray.